Today's episode originally aired on January 4th, 2023. The Side Hustle of the Small Business Podcast is currently taking a break until January 3rd, 2024. But in the meantime, we wanted to reshare one of our favorite episodes. Rob Friedman started out as a lawyer, but quickly realized it wasn't his passion. He did a complete 180 and started growing a following on his social media account, where he discusses all things pitching. We admire Rob's courage to make the jump and to follow his passions doing something that not many people are doing. We look forward to seeing you again on January 3rd, 2024. Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Rob Friedman trained to become a lawyer at Emory University. After practicing law for a few years, he co-founded Digital Envoy, a media and information services company in 1999. As Rob's education and career developed over the years, his love of baseball was always there. In 2014, he dove into the world of content creation. His niche, not just baseball, but pitching specifically. Thus, Pitching Ninja was born. Since starting Pitching Ninja, Rob has amassed over 400,000 Twitter followers 100,000 Instagram followers, and even has his own Pitching Ninja merch store. Here to share the story of his career, his business, and Pitching Ninja is Rob Friedman. Rob, welcome to the show. What is happening, my man? So, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, I'm going to be asking you questions about your background and all this stuff, and I know a lot of it because we've known each other now for over 20 years uh, with both of our starts uh, in kind of startups and entrepreneurship and and kind of side hustling, really, for for the first part of, of that. But before we get into all that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your background and, and kind of what got you to where you are now? Yeah, that, that's going to be a relatively long story because I started out as a lawyer, never intending to do any of this stuff. Like I worked at a large law firm, which is what lawyers do. Went to Emory Law School, finished first in my class there. Yes, smart man. Not that smart. Um, so anyway, worked, worked at a law firm for a little bit. Then... Uh, started being general counsel. I was like, I don't like practicing law all that much, especially when it's billable hours and all that stuff. So I started as general counsel of Eris, which is where I met you. I met Sanjay Park <laughs> there. And we used to come up with ideas and bounce ideas off each other. Um, one of those ideas grew into Digital Envoy, which is a company that we ended up starting, which was fantastic. Um, and then from there, I have always liked baseball, but I've always liked photography too. I coached baseball. So it's like a culmination, a combination of all this stuff. Being a baseball coach, taking video and help editing it, showing why pitchers are successful, why they're not successful, all that stuff. And then being able to write well on Twitter in short sentences is really important. So the legal background tied with the photography background, tied with the coaching background and love of baseball and technology all create created itself into Pitching Ninja. So so why exactly? So yeah, I get that you had this love, 
But why exactly uh, kind of com- what exactly compelled you to start posting uh, and creating an account and, and posting about this stuff? So I never really I never really liked Twitter at first. Like I was like, what like what am I going to say I'm doing on Twitter? I'm you know, I baked a cake. I did whatever, like show. Pit. I didn't know what to do. Um, but I realized that I was coaching baseball and I, I because I'm a lawyer, I ask a lot of questions and I never wanted to teach these kids, what kind of, you know, having a kid playing baseball, people ask me to coach because I just like, I mean, I, I like working with kids because I'm a big kid and just like explaining things. But when I found myself explaining it, I was like, you know, I don't want to teach what I was taught because I kind of sucked. It's not like I was a great baseball player growing up or anything like that. I was okay, but not like a really good, not like a major league baseball player at all. You've played yeah. softball with me. Um, you know, I, I, but I love the sport and wanted to pass it down. So I started learning a lot, asking a lot of questions. From there, I was like, I'm not going to coach my whole life. Um, so I want to be able to share this information with as many people as I can. I've learned from some of the best people who are kind enough to, to answer my questions. And I have a way of, you know, I had the money to spend on a lot of stuff, a lot of gear, a lot of coaching, a lot of a uh, whole bunch of things regarding baseball. I know a lot of people didn't. So I wanted to share that information with others. Um, and I figured Twitter was a good way to do it. So I just kept tweeting what I would learn and what I thought. And from there, like Major League Baseball players started following me. I'm like, this is kind of sick. Like they think what I have to say is interesting. Um, so it was just like a shock that that happened. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. There was never a plan to make it big. It wasn't like I wanted it. It wasn't a business idea. I don't even know if it's a business idea today. It kind of is. But it never really was at first, and it just grew on its own. And then from there, I was like, I can't do both. I can't be at Digital Envoy and do this at the same time. I'm being torn two different ways. So I might as well go with the thing that, you know, I, that I'm known for. I'd rather be known for as Pitching Ninja than as Mr. Geo Targeting Man. It just was what I wanted to be known as. Yeah. So why, why is it that you picked pitching of all things? Like you could have done batting, you could have done you know, like base running, like you could have done so many things, right? Like there's, if you really think about it, there's a lot of different things that you could probably slice into this interesting niche. What was it about pitching specifically? I've always been fascinated with pitching because it's number one, you're in a hundred percent of control of everything that happens because you have the baseball and you can make, you know, the hitter <laughs> has to react to you. So to me, if everything went right, you should be able to throw the ball where you wanted to move it the way you wanted to and dominate, dominate hitters. Um, so I figured it was, number that was one reason that I've always been attracted to that. I think everybody's looking at the pitcher. Nothing happens until the pitcher throws the ball. Um, the game is, you know, half pitching. Like half of the players on most college rosters or travel ball rosters are pitchers. So uh, to me, it just seemed natural. And, and then my son ended up gra- gravitating towards pitching. Um, so that had something to do with it. But it's always yeah. been an interest of mine. Like I always liked it because because of just the this being the center. They're the center of attention. I figured that that was an easier thing to teach than hitting, which is reacting to the pitch that comes in. Right. So how how deep down the rabbit hole have you gone? Like, are you thinking about the physics of it? Have you like I, I can't imagine in law school you you learned a lot of physics. So is this you know have you had to figure out that stuff afterwards, or are you recalling high school physics? Like you know. How how deep have you gotten into this? Oh, as deep as possible. So I do a bunch of different things. One is 
partly it's it's trained, like partly looking at pitching mechanics, how to throw hard, how to do pitch grips, how to grip the ball different ways, but also why the why the ball might move the way it does. And that is a lot of physics and aerodynamics. Like if you're talking about the seams of a baseball, the way the air goes over those seams is really what kind of makes the ball move differently. And some of the stuff we're discovering now, like this isn't like you would think the game's been around for forever, right? There are right. there are theories about why baseballs move that have popped up within the last two years. And it's from an aerodynamics professor, an aerospace engineering professor um, who happened to go to Georgia Tech, but now teaches out in Utah State. And I found him. Like, I found this guy. <laughs> and I was like, he's saying interesting things. So I started putting him up on Twitter and all my followers started finding him. And, and I was like, this guy's going to get a job somewhere soon because a team needs to know this stuff. He was basically everything that you knew about why a pitch would move was wrong. And he, right. he kind of put it out there and a team actually did contract with him. Um, so it worked. Really? Yeah. Like I, huh. that's another thing I do is I actually help find people positions in baseball, both players as well as some things like that. But a lot of players, I started flat ground that grew out of my pitching ninja Twitter, which is aimed to help basically anybody to find a spot in college or pros I've had several guys get signed by uh, major league teams because we just put them out there. Like you would think if you're good, everybody's going to find you. That's just not true. And I used my follower base, which in every major league baseball team follows me. So throwing it out there to them and they see this guy that's not signed, they jump on him and sign them. And it's happened, I think at least 40 times I've had players get signed by major league teams. So, so that's interesting because like all of these teams and we know like all, all of the professional athletic teams have scouts, um, clearly they're not doing their job, right? <laughs> because you're, you're founding, finding these folks and, and they're relying on you to do their scouting. Um, so what does that say about that whole setup? I, well, I think number one, it's very income based. So you have people that go to showcases and stuff, but those guys tend to be like knowing it might having Jack go through showcases it's expensive. Like a travel team, yeah. travel team, maybe a couple, like a good travel team could be two to $5,000, let's say. Um, but then you have the actual travel hotels, being able to take off work, paying for a showcase, paying for tournaments, paying for lessons, paying for equipment, like $500 bats, $400 gloves, all this stuff adds up really, really quickly. And you have yeah. basically income being the limiting factor for some folks, as well as geography. Like not only right. within the U.S., you might have low popula population density places that scouts just don't go to, like middle of Kansas. I don't know. You know, there may be a great player there, but no one ever sees them. Um, other thing, like also internationally, you may have like there was a guy that was a pretty good baseball player in the Netherlands through like 89, six foot four before I had flat ground. He had no way like coaches, schools don't have recruiting budgets to go to the Netherlands. Right. But if they see a right. video of the guy like, hey, if you're ever over here, you may want to stop by because I have an open scholarship yeah. for you. And these things right. were, this guy got 20 something scholarship offers from a video oh, wow. that I tweeted out. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of yeah. sick. So let, let's talk about how you kind of started this. So you you decided to go in on on pitching and, and do videos. Um, what did you do? You, like, you Obviously, you got your Twitter handle, but like what what's step number one? You, you started just taking videos yourself or videos from other people or what did you do? I think I originally just started tweeting some of the stuff I learned and then breaking down actual major league video. So showing how pitchers moved to create velocity, 
to how pitch right. how pitches came off pitchers' hands, actually, um, how the ball moved, and then some for entertain. It ended up evolving. There's also a, a huge entertainment factor where some people don't care about that. Like they're not baseball players. <laughs> they just like seeing nasty pitches. And for those people, I'm there too. Like, I don't really care. I like all of that. I'm a fan right. as well as a coach, as well as a technology guy, which I like the technology behind, you know, just, I'm always curious. So there's technology, physics, all that stuff involved, which is fun to unravel and try to make simple to people so they understand yeah. it in a, you know, in a way that, you know, digestible. So I really started out just simple tweets, like, throwing some videos up there, pictures, um, ideas, challenging some people too. Like that was the big thing is there's some coaches or, or people selling products that thought that they had these great things. And again, as a lawyer, one of my things is I'm going to poke holes. You know, it's the way we used to argue in the company. Like you sit there and you're like, all right, yeah, you say that, but what about this? What about, because, you know, it, it, it it's a way of sharpening ideas and also seeing right. who's full of crap. And, you know, a lot of these guys either didn't like being challenged or some of them did. And they maybe either they learned something about what they were saying or maybe, you know, maybe I realized I was wrong on some things, too, which is totally cool. I don't argue always right. because I think I'm right. I argue because I want to find out if I'm wrong. Right. Right. So, you know, one thing that um, I, I kind of thought of as, as I've heard you doing this over time um, is before every major league bro broadcast, there's this legal disclaimer, like you're not, or at the end of it, you're not allowed to rebroadcast and everything. And, and I've always thought like, well, Rob's a lawyer and I think he's kind of rebroadcasting this. And obviously it's okay now because you've got a relationship with MLB, but were you ever worried about them putting the hammer on you or, or did they ever, or was there ever discussion about that? Oh, it happened. So this happened like, <laughs> uh, what, a few years ago. Um, okay. So it was actually, it's a longer story than that. So I always felt, and there's a fair use exception for anything. So any right. copyright stuff, there's fair use. I don't rebroadcast again. I'm not sitting there announcing, hey, this is what happened. What I'm trying right. to do is break things down from a coaching perspective, especially at first, from a coaching perspective to help educate folks. I was growing the game. That was literally my only intent. It was never yeah. to make money. It was never to do anything. I didn't make any money off that. Like I was right. just doing it with my own time to grow the game and help other people learn. Um, but then at one point I tweeted something and somebody, I don't know if you know Barstool Sports, but they're, they're a, yeah. yeah, so they're another thing. And, and they have a bunch of loyal followers. They tend to be a little crazy at points. Um, especially back then. So I said something about somebody like taking my content. The guy actually took something I tweeted, put it under his own name. And it's like, Hey, this is nasty. And I was like, wait a second. I did all the work on this. I found this. Right. And you're, and, and he was like, Oh yeah, well it's MLBs and sent his followers after me who then reported me to both Twitter and MLB and MLB oh, wow. did what you're supposed to do. Like in this, they didn't do anything wrong. They just said, hey, we're going to issue a takedown notice. They did. Twitter took it down and closed my account. Right. So they locked my account. Oh, wow. And, I, and and how many followers were you at at this point? 80,000 maybe, something okay. like that. So, so maybe or 50, 50 to 80, something like that. I, I forgot okay. the exact number. So I wake up in the middle of the night and I, because sometimes I just can't sleep. You, I mean, we all have that. Yeah. And I looked right. at my phone, it was blowing up. And I'm like, why is my phone blowing up? And it was people right. going, what happened to your account? What happened and I just, I just looked at it. I'm like, I'm going back to sleep because I can't do anything about it now. If, if Major right. League Baseball wants to keep me off Twitter, they can. That's perfectly fine. I think what I'm doing is right. 
but I'll worry about right. it in the morning and see what happens. So it, there was a huge uproar, like the entire baseball yeah. community, both professional players, front office people, as well as fans, just went crazy that my account got locked. Um, and eventually MLB contacted me through a reporter at that point, I think it was for Yahoo Sports. Um, and he said, you know, hey, they want to talk to you. And they talked to me and they said, we love what you do. We actually just wanted to be on the up and up. And I said, you know, honestly, I feel like I have a fair use exception, but I want to do this right too. So they ended up, they, I'm an independent contractor for Major League Baseball out of it and now can do anything I want, basically, other than like rebroadcast the game, obviously, and stuff. Um, and that grew into, like, that freed me up to do a whole bunch of stuff. So now, like, I'm a, I'm an analyst for Fox Sports. I'm an analyst for, I did Peacock games on Peacock TV on Sundays. Um, I do ESPN. I've done MLB Network. I've done a lot. So really, um, those barstool crazies probably one of your biggest helpers in developing this as a business. So that is one of those things that I firmly believe is that you can either whine about stuff that happens to you, or you can say it's a blessing in disguise and figure out a way around it. Every time you're dealt a curveball, you, uh, you, you can turn it. <laughs> Using those baseball puns there. <laughs> yeah. But, but every time you're dealt that you should like, to me, it's, there's no sense in whining about it. Like you figure right. it out and you use it for the best. And if it didn't work, like I would have had more free time on my hand on my hands at yeah. that point. So it wasn't going to yeah. kill me at that point. But instead, it was the same thing of like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And this made me extremely strong because it, it just yeah. freed me up. It made me feel better about what I was doing. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox the business insurance experts. So, okay. So now you've got this relationship. What, what changes in, in your ability to do these things? Now, you, now you've got freedom to do more, right? It, did this amplify your ability to do more at that point? And did it, is that the thing that really helped you grow your following? It really did. So to me, again, like the blessing in disguise type thing, it made me feel better about putting stuff out there. It made everything legit. Um, so I started doing more. I started actually, so at first I was really focusing mostly on the coaching aspects of it and, right. and stuff like that, you know, like I said, pitch grips, all that stuff. And then this made me think, you know, baseball is so not bad. Like they're not intentionally bad. They just, viral marketing is better than a company speaking to you um, and marketing yeah. the way they want to. And since everybody liked, seemed to like what I was doing, I figured if I did it in the same style, I could help grow the sport and show why these things are so cool. So I invented things like pitch overlays to show like, you know how everybody yells at a hitter, why'd you swing at that? Well, I can show yeah. why you swing. Number one, if you're yelling at a hitter, why they swung at that, you're sitting on your couch. These guys are getting paid <laughs> millions of dollars to hit a baseball. So you would think right. they're better than you. Like they've seen something <laughs> that you didn't see that because the pitch is coming at them a certain way, looked like another pitch and they end up swinging at it. So I started showing yeah, it's, people. It's the angle that you see on TV is, is totally different than the batter's point of view there. Totally. And the other thing is you can't take each pitch in a vacuum. You have to think, what, what did the hitter think that pitch was? So why did he swing at this, this slider that was right. way out of the zone? Because he thought it was a fastball that was coming down the middle because they look the same as they're coming at you. Right. And then that slider disappears. So 
Those were yeah. things that I think really helped shape the way people watch games. I think now people are much more pitching oriented than when I started. And that yeah. is one area where I think I've had a lot of impact is people not only wanting to pitch, but but people understanding that this game is really hard and helping yeah. appreciate hitting and pitching. So, okay. So you, you made this move now. Um, you've left Digital Envoy full-time. So obviously you've grown Pitching Ninja to a point where it's generating revenue. So how, how did you figure out how to make that move from, hey, I'm doing it for fun to now I'm making money and, and, and how are you making money in all of this? Great question. Um, it is like, I never, again, when I started this, absolutely didn't even think that it was a possibility. I didn't think that, you know, this dude who's just coaching stuff could ever make money at this. Um, but what ended up happening is, so number one, MLB, I have a contractor relationship. Then people started following me and get a ton of followers. I, uh, a guy at Rotoware, so there's a company that actually makes t-shirt designs and stuff. And he wasn't a, a graphic designer as well, worked for an ad. And he just DM'd me and said, hey, I got a great logo for you. And I'm like, really? Like, send it over. And he sent over the logo that's on my hat right now. And I'm like, this is kind of cool. And I put it out there. Like, I just changed my Twitter icon to that. And people were like, I want that on a hat. Oh, actually, I want it on a shirt. So he started breaking shirts. Um, and at first, I gave every penny of it, every penny I got from it. So he'd make money. I'd make money. And I'd give my money to charity, all of it. Um, yeah. And then it became too much to give all to charity. And <laughs> I was like, you know, there's a point I didn't feel comfortable at that point taking people's money because I've done pretty well at DE. Like I can't complain. I've done well my whole life and other people need their money more. And I don't really feel like separating them from that. Um, but then at some point it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I'm like, this is a legit business. And it also helps me grow and add, you know, I have a person now that works with me full time um, and helps me manage these, the merch aspects of it and some of the content aspects of it. Um, but then, sorry, there's a merch aspects. There's YouTube pays money. Um, okay. Instagram has, you know, money generating stuff. Uh, and then networks that I work with. So I get paid for working with, uh, Peacock and, uh, FanDuel. So, uh, online yeah. gambling type stuff. Um, right. and then, uh, MLB network, if I make an appearance, pays me. Nesson, Red Sox Network yeah. pays me too. Okay. So like a lot so of different avenues of making money. So that, so that's helped you become more than just a, a single person thing. So now you're, you've got one employee. Um, so, you know, that kind of helps move into the, the next kind of question. How do you balance all of this with family and, you know, you know, friends and like all of that stuff? I'm sure it helps now having somebody with you. Um, but how do you think about that and how do you kind of balance the stress of all of this stuff? Because now you're not just watching baseball games for the fun of it. It's a job every single time a game comes on. Great, great point. And to me, I still have fun doing it. Like I, I, I thrive yep. off other people liking my stuff. Um, I put it out because I like it, but when other people like it too, I'm like, this is cool. Like I came up with something that other people like, and sometimes there's a lot of other people that like it, you know, millions and millions of people that like it. And that's insanely cool. So it's still always fun. I love the interaction part of it. Um, but I am not great at balancing work life and personal life on this because it become like, uh, you know, Patricia would tell me, you know, you work like 14 hour days on this stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think of it like work because I'm constantly thinking of it and constantly doing something, but it's, I can always take a break when I want to, too. 
So it's not like no one's making me do it. Like no one says you have to do this. I just do it. So I'm not great you're at You're not exhausted at the end of the 14 hours. It's It's been fun the whole 14 It's been hours. fun, but you do get exhausted. So like right, right now we're <laughs> okay. at the end of the season. And I, I think I told you before <laughs> we started, like I'm tired. Like staying yeah. up all night watching a no hitter and stuff. It gets tiring, right. no doubt, but it's also yeah. like, I can't whine about this. Like if you're whining about, I understand people whining about their jobs, whining about something that I started because it was fun and still having fun at it every day and watching a right. sport and having players come up to me and giving me big hugs and crap. Like I go to the all-star game and they're like, oh my God, it's pitching ninja. I'm like, dude, you're the one getting paid all this money because you're, you're a great baseball player. I'm just a dude with a computer who writes stuff. Um, yeah. but it's like, become like this folk hero to folks, which is right. fun. Like it helps your ego. Like I love when that happens and it's great to have that impact and stuff. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think there's any aspect of it that I don't like. Yeah. Like it's, and, and you do get a break, right? Like, yes, so I once do. the world series is over, do. like, do, do you ramp back up when it's spring training or, or after that? Ramp up for spring training. I never really take a full break. Like it, it, I never... I'm out of sight, out of mind. So I'm always doing like something. Right. It's it's this philosophy that I think players should do, people should do, people in anything should do, is get a yeah. little better every day at something you do. Work at it a little bit every day. Um, put something out there every day. Twitter's great because I read my notifications all the time because I want to hear if somebody's complaining about something, if someone thinks I stink, if someone thinks something's particularly good. Um, because I don't agree with everything they say, but I some parts are true. And you have to be yeah. able to differentiate that. So I think doing getting better at anything, 1% every day, it adds up. Or, you know, a fraction of percent every day. Right, right. Okay, so we've talked about kind of some technology. You're obviously a big Twitter user, Instagram user. Um, are, what other technology or apps or systems or services do you use to help you manage all of this? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I use, I mean, I use a bunch of editing software. So that's one of those things like, Working in technology, I'm not scared of any of that. And I've always edited, yeah. you know, photography and stuff. Um, but I, do, I mean, I and used- did you learn all of that yourself or did you take a class or like, how did you learn? I don't like taking classes. I like learning. I like trying things. And when I run into a roadblock, I learn it myself rather than, you know, if I really needed something, I might ask somebody, but I don't remember the last time I did. You can go on YouTube and usually find the answer to something um, editing wise. And I've created new things because what I do is I'll learn something and I'll be like, oh, but I can use this for that. And it may be something no one's thought of um, because you're constantly trying to improve. I'm constantly trying to show what I, what I see in my head better. And by doing that, like I'm constantly experimenting and stuff which is another part of fun stuff of this. Yeah. Use all the Adobe products to do my editing and my vo voiceovers and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, just like camera crap and lighting. And I don't, I mean, like I, it's hard to even list out all the stuff that I would use, but I'm fluent yeah. on everything. Is, is, TikTok is Is there tough. one thing that you're like, if I didn't have this, everything would fall apart? Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, like if I didn't wasn't able to capture videos online, that would stink. Yeah. So being a screen okay. capture is important. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Ed editing software yeah. and stuff is is huge. Okay. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks that are listening to this uh, podcast are folks that either have a side hustle or small business or are thinking about doing one of those things. Um, what kind of advice would you give somebody like that about, 
you know, thinking about starting a side hustle or a small business and, and how to think about it and how to be successful? So I get asked this a lot of times, especially with people like, I've had people on, on Twitter or Instagram say, I want to be like you. I want to start going into this, you know, doing this, be a content creator, an influence, like a influencer, like I'm an influencer, whatever the hell that means. Um, yeah. And I was like, you can do that, but it's, you have to work unbelievably hard it's not a matter, especially when you're starting out without a big name, you have to be, you have to be willing to outwork and outthink everybody else in order to be where you are. People don't put in that work and they don't want to put yeah. in that work. Everybody wants the easy answer. Like there's got to be a quick fix to this. Everybody wants a quick fix to being able to throw hard in baseball. They want a quick fix to starting a company or getting rich or whatever it is. There's no quick fix. Other than some people get lucky. Um, but you make your own luck a lot of times. And it's about working, you know, still working 14 hour days doing this. And if you don't want to do it, that's totally fine. But don't be upset when you don't end up with the results that you, that you want to get, because I will, I feel like, I don't know if I'm smarter, better, whatever, but I will outwork people through being dedicated to doing something every day that people won't do. So that's really it. Yeah. What's interesting to me is, um, you know, if you think back to Digital Envoy, we started in 99 and we exited in 2007. So that was eight years. You started this in 2014 and you've now left and gone full time into it. And it's been eight years uh, of that as well. Um, so it was, a, a you know, a lot of people will look at the end result and be like, I want to be like you now, but don't look back or, or think about the time that it took you to get from where you started to where you are now. Absolutely. How hard did we work starting DE? Like how many <laughs> very, very hard days did we do then? It, it was a lot, uh, and but it was fun. Right. I don't remember sleeping. I remember waking up in the middle of the night with that too, looking, checking my emails. And I know how right. you checked your emails too. And we would constantly yep. be, you know, just doing something to make to, because I didn't want to lose. I mean, right. and you didn't want to either. You're wanting to always get better. <laughs> and we were competing against better funded people who just didn't yep. work as hard or as smart yep. um, and didn't have the right, like I think creating the right environment's important, having fun and being creative and working hard. Those are the keys yeah. to everything. So, okay, I've got one last question for you. Now this is going to go deep baseball and kind of uh, make you look into the future a little bit. So there's some changes coming in, in rules for MLB. Um, there's a pitch clock that's coming and there's also larger bases coming. What do you think that's going to do, uh, first of all, to the game, but also to your business? Because now, you know, maybe there's more pitches or, or I don't know, something changes about the analysis that you're going to have to do. So I love change. Like I am not, you know, change should never intimidate anybody. I think some of these changes are really good. And it shows that baseball is experimenting to try to make the product more fan friendly. The pitch clock yeah. is huge because I think people, there's a lot of people who think the game's too slow, boring, whatever. Moving it quicker so that there's less time between pitches is important. And I think that's the big thing is growing the base, making it more interesting. Um, there's other rules that are tough. Like, they're reducing the amount of times you can throw over to a base. So you can't pick right. off, uh, you know, multiple times. They're eliminating the shift, which I think is important because, you know, growing up watching baseball, everybody, they didn't shift as much. So you'd have two people on one side of the infield, two people on the other side of the infield. Now, now when you watch a game, there's always a player somewhere and somebody will hit the ball hard in an area that you've always thought is a base hit and it's not. And batting average have gone down and pitching has gotten so yeah. good 
that there's less offense because of that. You have, right. you have not only analytics entering the game to make it harder to get a hit, but you're also having pitchers being trained better and hitters are just reacting to this fastball that they can't see and then getting these ridiculous breaking balls they also can't hit. Yeah. Um, so it's tough. Yeah. So I think these changes are are useful. I don't know how it'll affect what I do, but I think it'll affect the game somewhat. The bigger bases as well, just injuries. Like, I don't, I yeah. I hate it when a player gets injured and creating a bigger path to the base will mean less injuries and maybe more stolen bases, which I think the people that run baseball think that's more exciting. Yeah. I, I, fans probably think that's more exciting. I think so, so too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll be good for the game. Um, well, Rob, this has been awesome. Where can our listeners find and connect with you? Pretty much anywhere. If they already have it <laughs> of the 400,000 or so. Pretty much anywhere. So I'm on Twitter at Pitching Ninja. I'm on Instagram at Pitching Ninja. TikTok at Pitching Ninja. I don't dance. I'm terrible. Um, and then YouTube at Pitching Ninja videos. And then anywhere like, I don't know, if you watch me, like I'm on TV occasionally too. My big ugly mug on people's screens, which is scary. But I'm I'm on uh, Ness and I had mentioned. I'm on... Um, um, I write for Fox, so I have an article coming out today. Uh, dude, like I'm everywhere. I'm too many places, Sanjay. I don't even know, man. It's, it's tough. So just search around and you'll find me. Yeah, exactly. You'll find me and probably want to just turn off your TV if you see my face. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming on, Rob. Hey, my pleasure, dude. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit Hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit Hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find me on Twitter at, at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparik.com.